0: I think I'm taking a little bit of inspiration from the marketing field. You know, when we are trying to sell something to someone, we are trying to tell them what they're going to gain from this. And I think that's how we need to approach our teaching as well. What are our students, what are our student families going to gain from interacting and being part of My Piano Studio? And when you turn it that way, then they become the drivers. They're in the driving seat and you're along for the ride, or at least they think that could be. So I think maybe that's the key is dynamic means that there's an exchange of ideas and yes, I'm leading the way, but um, it's also alongside.
1: Hi, I'm Ben Capelo and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Lila Viss. Lila Viss offers piano lessons that encourage players to stick to the bench for a lifetime. Her customized instruction blends a mix of styles with creativity away from the page. Students experience lessons on and also off the bench where they review concepts using the latest music apps. In 2012, she began a blog about piano teaching at leelavis.com. Her fascination with the iPad and apps resulted in a book called The iPad Piano Studio, Keys to Unlocking the Power of Apps. With Bradley Sowash, Leela co-founded 88 Creative Keys. The six year venture featured webinars and workshops on how to encourage improvisation. At the University of Denver, Leela coordinated the piano preparatory program for three years with Chi Hua Tan. Leela presents frequently at national and international conferences. She penned a regular column for Clavier Companion and currently sits on the editorial committee for the American Music Teacher magazine. As a longtime church organist, choir, and worship team pianist, Leela enjoys putting a fresh twist on old hymns and tunes. Her latest projects include her Key Ideas podcast, a digital course, and writing a book about a devastating family event. In this episode, we talked about some of her ideas about the difference between static and dynamic studios across a variety of levels. I was excited to speak with her since I'm such a huge fan of her work and especially her podcast. I hope you enjoy. Leela Viss, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to talk about moving away from kind of some of those static types of activities we may kind of use as a default in our studio. And we're going to talk about how we can consider substituting these activities for perhaps some more dynamic options. I'm using these words static and dynamic because I actually got these from you, which I understand you took from Phil Johnson's book, The Dynamic Studio. And you've used these terms a lot in a variety of contexts. Before we get into some of the details about how we can make our studios move from static to dynamic, can you talk about in the big picture what you think are kind of ultimately some of the key distinguishing factors between a dynamic and static studio? Hmm. Good question. And I've been pondering it for a while. I think dynamic means
0: exchange or a hmm. change. And so it's, it's not driven by the teacher. It really is driven by the student, which is very... It's very different from how we've learned in the past, but uh, I think I'm taking a little bit of inspiration from the marketing field. You know, when we are trying to sell something to someone, we are trying to tell them what they're going to gain from this. And I think that's how we need to approach our teaching as well. What are our students, what are our student families going to gain from interacting and being part of my piano studio? And when you turn it that way, then they become the drivers. They're in the driving seat and you're along for the ride, or at least they think that could be. So I think maybe that's the key is dynamic means that there's an exchange of ideas And yes, I'm leading the way, but um, it's also alongside.
1: That's interesting. That reminds me of one episode I was listening Mm. to of your podcast. I forget the title off the top of my head, but it was with your web developer. And it was about building a great Mm. website. And I remember a similar focus in that episode about sort of putting yourself in the parents' shoes and saying, what are they going to get? Not what will I give them?
0: Right. Well, and I was just thinking about that because I had to rewrite some copy for my site because believe it or not, I'm looking for a few good piano students <laughs> and I and I want them to be a certain way. I want them mm-hmm. to have a certain avatar. So I had to write copy text that would help them figure out, "Mm, am I the right fit or not? And then what I did is I decided that I would twist it just a little bit and think about, you know, yeah, they're students, but I want them to think of themselves as pianists as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And so with that frame of mind, I had a lot of fun writing, you know, what I think a parent might want to read from a site like that. So taking... taking a step back instead of just saying, okay, this is what you're going to get when you come to my studio. This is, this is, uh, hmm, um, this is your environment in which you can grow and develop into a fabulous musician, you know? And, And I think we all need to take a step back and think that way as piano teachers, because, for so long it's been this is how i do it these are my policies all that kind of stuff and you know parents really don't care about your policies they really do care about what they're going to do, what you're going to do for their child or if they're an adult student what you can do for them
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true i know in my earlier days of teaching i was very big on this is my teaching philosophy (laughs) everyone has to go through this set of courses and i think it's important to be student-centered kind of as you were talking about earlier and yeah thinking about it as an environment rather than my method that Mm -hmm. everyone goes through um so i do want to talk about this environment that we create with our students and talk about some specific ideas that we can create kind of a more dynamic environment so first i want to talk about technology and this Mm -hmm. is something you've focused on really heavily and I'll try to put in your show notes uh, a link to your book called the iPad piano studio. So there are some teachers who sort of argue that students spend enough time on their screens and they're on technology all day. And I want my lessons to kind of be a break from all of that. Why do you feel that using software programs and apps and other technological resources is pedagogically advantageous for students, as opposed to kind of some of the old fashioned like metronome and pencil and paper approaches?
0: Well, You know, when I look back at when that book came out in 2013, the reason why I wrote it was because I was using the big old desktop computers with the floppy disks and then the CD-ROMs and then you, you know, insert them. Well, then it didn't work. You got to shut down the whole system. So to me, I had always used technology alongside my teaching, but the iPad just made it so easy. So I think that's why I was so excited about it. It wasn't because I'm such a tech guru. I think people look at me and think, oh, she must be so technology or tech savvy. And yes, to some extent, but that is not the purpose behind it. It's not that I find it so fascinating. It's more of that I just think it's such a cool tool that I can use in my studio. And so, yes, I do feel like technology can add that dynamic, that exchange between students and one of the main reasons is gamification. Yeah. I'm just thinking back for what I did to uh, this week in lessons for my younger students. We were reviewing our landmark note C's, which I've got deep blue C, cow C, middle C, face C, and uh, sky C, or yeah, cloud C is what I call it. Okay. And so that, you know, there are different C's around the piano. And then I got out little cards, uh, playing cards, uh, ace cards. And then it was interesting how many students couldn't spell ace, (laughs) A-C-E and not A-S-E. And then they planted those by those uh, landmark notes. And then they found the A's and the E's on either side of them. And they used little, uh, they kind of like Scrabble pieces that I used from Bradley Sowash's cord stacker. People are familiar with that. Um, He prints little letters on little square things. And so what I do is I kind of dream up things that I have in the house. You know, like what could I use um, to help reinforce them finding those keys on the piano? And then how do they find those keys on the grand staff? And that's when I have something called bees keys, which are these little cards with, you know, the, the, the actual pitch on the grand staff. So, you know, lots of play things in some ways, tactile tools to reinforce ACE a c e around the keyboard. But then the kicker is the closer is then bringing out the flash note Derby app, which then, yes. And then, and it's a favorite because we can customize it. Right. So I just had them start with one ACE, one group, and then we keep adding more and more on. And the reason why I went to that next is because They can do it over and over again. If they don't get it right, guess what? They want to do it again. And that's, I think technology taps into the human being's innate nature of wanting to win and that competitive edge. So, you know, every student will ask me or say, can I do that again? you know, I'm going to do that again. No, I didn't get a black belt. I'm going to do that again. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it, that is the beauty of technology. Now, of course it has that addictive tendency. So everything is in moderation. And so I did use some old fashioned things this week. I use some other tactile tools and then combine it with technology. And it really, it really makes for a nice setting where yes, they're not just on that screen, but you know, Really, uh, my students maybe spend, I don't know, 15 minutes on the screen in a lesson, and that's it, because usually right now everyone is practicing. I have a piano upstairs away from my studio, so I'm sending everybody upstairs to practice during their off-bench time is what I call it, and then they can come back down and do some Oh, I think my older students are using an app called Way, W-A-A-Y. I don't know that one. What is that? Ooh, that's a good one. That is all about it. He wrote it for people helping or helping people write songs. And so, but it's a lot of theory. And it's, he's got nice little videos and then drills that follow up. So tutorial videos and then drills. And uh, my teenage students who are intermediate level and above really like it. A lot of it is review from what they heard from me, but also it's another teacher teaching kind of the same concepts in a new way. So they'll learn something new. Yeah. And quite often when I'm with a student, I'll say, well, what did you think of that app? How did, you know, did you like it? What? Uh, Was it too hard? You know, those kind of things. So again, that exchange, that information exchange, I'm learning from them as they are learning from me.
1: And I completely feel your point about gamification. I mean, what I found amazing in my studio is I could ask a student, what is a sixth above C, and maybe they'll say A, and there's no engagement. But if we ask the exact same question Mm -hmm. on a screen, and then a check mark and a ding sound appears when they get it right, I mean, the magnitude of difference between how much more they engage is so colossal. Now, another way that technology can be helpful um, is in building kind of an ability to feel pulse and rhythm and and uh, one of my favorite episodes of your podcast is called Make Rhythm Count When It Doesn't Make Sense. And you talk about being able to kind of feel a beat and feel the pulse of the music as in some ways more important than being able to kind of just metrically count from rhythm flashcards. So how in your studio do you use technology to help students experience rhythm? Hmm.
0: I would say the very first button that I push is a style button on my Clavinova. And so it's not quite an app, but it is, it, like, even if someone's working on a sonatina, I will go find a, what, a hard rock style <laughs> and, and they'll play along with it. And it's because it just subdivides that beat so well. I mean, they right. cannot speed when they have that. Whereas a metronome, just with that tick, 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 you know, they, they have plenty of time to speed within the, the tick, you know, yeah. between the pulses. So that is my favorite thing to pull out. And also, um, I play along with my students, you know, they'll do one hand, I'll do the other. Right now, we are on two different pianos. It just so happened that, you know, during this Whole pandemic season, I've always had two pianos, but I put a little separator between the two pianos. And now it's really fascinating to see how much I am playing with my students even more because I'm stuck at my piano and they're at theirs. And um, so playing along with them uh, is really nice. And then when I want them to go home, and use the metronome, then I try and talk them into purchasing the Super Metronome Groove Box, which has a lot of fun styles and a lot of kicks in between the beats that make things much more interesting
1: Hmm. Um, when they're playing. I, I don't think I've heard of Groovebox. So is this oh, yeah. Is this still a metronome or is it a backing tracks or is it a drum sound? Or like
0: It's a metronome that uh, has all kinds of different styles, you know, Latin, pop, reggae, rock, all that kind of stuff. So you can set it and then you can set how many beats in each measure. You can even pinpoint, you know, what you want to accent of each beat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty precise. But it's so much more fun than the typical metronome.
1: Yeah. I think also not only is it more fun, but all of what you're describing, the backing tracks, you playing along, perhaps this group box, are also much more musical than a metronome. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. it really, as I say, goes back to my point about experiencing rhythm and feeling rhythm. When you're playing with a backing track, you're really making music, whereas the the tick is, I don't know. Yes, well, and right, there's nothing
0: yeah. wrong with a tick. I have. No, and um, I I'm a big fan of it. TV yes, too. yeah. Um, the other thing is, I've got I've got a certain people that really want to play pop tunes. That's mm-hmm. that's why they're here with me. And so, like for instance, one gal learned Rocket Man, and and she learned it in the key. And so she would play along with Elton John. You know, she had it, she had it on her Spotify, and she would play along. And again, that helps her with that inner sense of rhythm. Yeah immediately because she was playing along with
1: the band. Yeah, and I think that also goes to some of the pedagogical value of using pop music in your studio, which is a great transition into the next topic I want to talk about with you, which is <laughs> repertoire. Mm-hmm. Um, one way that I also think to create a dynamic studio would be to not only use music by what you often refer to as music by, quote, dead European composers. Um, so um, <laughs> uh-huh. you had a great podcast episode with uh, Charlene Jarvis uh, about fun repertoire, if any of our listeners want a deep dive into this, but more broadly speaking, how do you go about finding non-classical pieces for students that are Mm -hmm. not just kind of like for the sake of variety, but are actually like tied to a specific kind of pedagogical approach that you have for them?
0: You know, I like this question because I had to think back just a little bit, you know, where did I come across my favorite composers? And I think there's two answers. Number one, I was a huge fan and still am a huge fan of Robert Vandal, who is no longer with us, but his music was always and is always fun, vibrant. It's a a lot of times it's in a five finger pattern. So it sits well beneath the hand. And then it's uh, rhythmically, it's not always easy, but because it had that appeal, it was across the keyboard. My students love his pieces. And so I think, you know, he always inspired me to find fun music uh, because his music was always fun. And then I started to participate in the National Federation of Music Clubs with my students, which means that at at local festivals, a student signs up to play a piano solo and they have to play two pieces. And so one of them has to be from what they call their bulletin. And every four years they come up with a new bulletin that includes all new pieces from all living American composers. That's, that's one of the main things, you know, that they're, they're all about is that it must be an American composer and, and which is nice because then that gives the composers, you know, uh, um, Oh, just the exposure, you know? And so I've learned a lot about, or learned new about new composers. And also when I go to those, I've judged those festivals as well before. So then you hear all that music and, and it, so that's where I've been exposed to a lot of different composers. And then of course, I don't know. You find one, Kevin Olson, for one. I know uh, Charlene and I went on and on about him. And I th- <laughs> part of the reason why I like his music so much is because I like to play in that style myself. It's uh, it's contemporary. Maybe it's a little new age. It's a, it's got colorful chords. And you also compose music in that style yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I tend to find things that I personally like, but also I my whole thing is that. You know, when we walk into Starbucks, they're not saying, here, have our latte of the day. They, they may have one, but, you know, I'm looking at the menu. Hmm, what do I want now? I'm going to have an Americano, you know, and basically that's how I treat my students when they walk in the door. What do you want to play? And which is, you know, harder for some because man, I, yesterday, this little beginner came in and like, I heard this on the radio. I want to play this one. And, you know, it was way above his level. And I like, will keep playing and, you know, keep practicing and we'll work towards it. And maybe I will help him simplify it. But the minute they're playing the things that they love, then they're hooked. And that is one of the biggest motivating factors. Now, research has said that when you like something, you want to play it and that motivates you.
1: I was recently uh, listening to the Vibrant Music Teachers podcast, and uh, Nicola, and that uh, podcast has one episode about repertoire and about pop music and kind of talks about what you're saying about menu, uh, like offering students different choices as far as pop, because often they don't really know what they want. And what she said that I thought was interesting is when she gives students kind of this menu that you're describing, there's a mix of pieces on the radio, but then also pieces like what you're describing by, I think, Kevin Olsen, where it's written in a pop style, but it's not an arrangement of a pre-existing pop song. And I think that helps to show students all of the range of options for what they could do.
0: And I include in this pop category for Elise, I have, mm, I think, three or four students playing for Elise. I know that some teachers would just die if that was happening in their studio right now, but they are student savers for me right now. And, um, you know, I will do it if they want to play it. Yes, I will help them. And they're going to play it nicely. Um, So Beethoven hopefully won't be rolling over. Uh, But to me, that almost borders on a pop piece as well. But, you know, it still counts. And man, you can, because I've got them hooked into this piece, I can really talk about technique and all those things that I really want to cover and they're still happy because they're playing the piece that they both wanted to play.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's similar to Puppet because they already know it. And so they can use mm-hmm. their ear to kind of help guide them to figure out some of the rhythm, some of the notes. And then, as you say, it gives you more of a space to talk about technique and expressivity. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond kind of which repertoire pieces we pick, there are also some just general musical skills associated with non-classical styles of playing that I want to talk about, mm-hmm. specifically improvisation, which of course although improvisation is important to classical music and many of the famous composers were improvisers strictly classical lessons tend to de-emphasize improvisation and i know you described a situation that i can kind of relate to where you had a master's degree in piano performance and pedagogy but then had someone give you a lead sheet and you weren't quite sure what to do with it um so to help teachers kind of be in a better position to work with students on some of these skills I know you are now offering a course called How to Play Piano in a Band with Drew Collins. Can you talk about this course and in general what you think are some of the most important skills to impart students with that can help them comfortably play in a variety of styles?
0: Well, thank you for asking because that it, it's a project that is near and dear to my heart because, yes, I have lived the life of a classical pianist who was immediately asked to play in a band right after I got done with my recital. I'm like, wait a minute, don't you want me to just play my box suite? (laughs) Uh, No, they weren't interested in that. They wanted me to read from a chord chart and all it had were lyrics and chords. And I had no idea what to do with that. And then, uh, you know, come a couple of decades later, I have met Drew Collins and he and I have worked together for quite some time. And so the worship band that I play with, or that I was playing with him, then everything fell apart with um COVID and everything. But it was, you know, we had the little ear monitor in our ear with the metronome going. I could hear all the other instruments and Scarlett, we called her, would talk to us, you know, like chorus, bridge, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. So there was a lot of stuff going on while I was playing what I was supposed to play and reading from only a chord chart. And... To me, it was mind-blowing what kind of skills I was developing because I was playing with a band. And what was interesting is that I thought it was going to be really creative, and yet it is because it's this wide open space. There's, no, there's nothing written down on the grand staff, so you can really do what you want. But quite often, they would want me to play the little piano riff, the little lead-in at the beginning of the piece or whatever. And so I would have to listen, 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 listen and figure it out. And I've gotten so much better with my ear skills because they would call on the piano to, Hey, you got to open us up here and, you know, count me and dun, 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 go and whoa. And it was funny because a lot of times I had a pro- problem with dialing up my audio files. I would look at the sheet and like, how does this sound? Oh yeah, here we go. You know, and, um, that
1: sounds so stressful. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, and it
0: really put me on a new edge. Now, listen, I could have written it all out. I could have found notation for it all, but I really, challenge myself to play that other role as a pianist. And I can only tell you that it has really expanded my skills, makes me a better sight reader when I come back to reading notation, but also just understanding what song structure and, you know, what makes a good song and why do we like certain ones so much? Um, and that's it's so much fun to discover those things within a pop setting and in a, bo- a band setting, you know, because think about it, you know, why are those songs so popular? that people have put the right combination of elements together. And um, I think it's important for students to understand that part of music just as well as how did Beethoven put together a sonata.
1: Yeah. Well, what you're describing is obviously very advanced, being able to listen to a piano intro and then do it yourself by ear while counting in the band. I mean, that's amazing. So if we (laughs) want our students to one day be able to play in a worship band, like you, I mean, what do you think are some of the very first skills that you would impart? A student? Like, how do you start a student off on that path?
0: Yes. Know your chords. Chords, 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 chords. And really, you know, once you know them in one key, then you want to be able to get to know them in other keys. But it's, you know, the very first thing I have students do is learn that heart and soul pattern. The C, A minor, F, G. Once they know that and they can... Yep. I assign it to them. And I say, okay, play it at home until your parents tell you to stop because they will, they'll they'll just play and play and play. But those are the four chords of most pop songs right there. And once they know that in one key, they can transpose that to all other keys. And then if they know the chord symbols for them, you know, capital C, C major, a small M, A minor. Once they get to know the rules of those chord symbols, they, they become nimble and can go between chord charts pretty easily, at least playing a chord in the right hand mm-hmm. and a single bass note in the left hand, you know? And if that's all they can do and still stay with the band, that counts.
1: Uh, one app that I really like to use to help facilitate that, I don't know if you've ever used this, is iReal Pro.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, Actually, Bradley Sowash, my colleague, he was the one that first introduced it to me. But it, yeah, that one, I use that a lot with the 12-bar blues because it has such a fun backing track. But yes, I use that a lot, too, with uh, playing five-finger patterns around the circle of keys. Just again, uh, what you're doing is you're locking in technique, you're locking in theory, and you're playing it with a groove. So it's a three for one exercise, really.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great example, again, of technology having a pedagogical value and not just being for fun. Um, I want to switch a little bit gears for a second. And uh, the final element I want to talk about in lessons that I think can help teachers work towards a more dynamic studio, which you've spoken about a lot, is practice monitoring. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know there are many teachers who kind of just at the beginning of the lesson might ask, did you practice? And that's kind of it. Or some maybe we'll go a step further and we'll have the students kind of put a check mark next to each date that they practice, but you go way above and beyond this. Mm -hmm. And one resource that you've described, which I think is really, really great, is the Effective Practice Tracker. Can you talk about this and how our readers can learn more about this tool? Rarely do I ask a student how much they practice. Sometimes I do, but I don't like to open
0: a lesson like that because it can lead to, it it can really tank the lesson because if they haven't practiced, then they're in the hot seat. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and then they feel bad and like, I'm like, you know what? We don't have time for you to apologize. Let's go. Let's, let's go figure out. Let's jumpstart your practice and let's get you up and running. I almost think that I teach more practice lessons than piano lessons because People don't know how to practice. Even my adult students do not know how to practice. And it's because they haven't learned a new skill in a long time. They're professionals, so they do kind of the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. So to me, the very first thing that I do is get them accountable for how did they do. So if they play something, how did it go for you? Oh, well, no, I I think I did. I I think I made a mistake here. And it's becoming aware of their mistakes. And, you know, and I I say to them, listen, you know, I'm um, I know you're not perfect, but we want to work towards that. And that's our metric. You know, that's telling you how good you are doing is here's perfect. How close are you to it? And, um, when, when they think of it that way, it's not just me saying that was bad. It's them saying, Oh, you know what? I got to do that again. That was not good. You know, and, and getting them to be aware of their own mistakes, taking ownership of them. And then I like to give them the tools. Actually, it's it's almost a two-step thing in some ways, because first of all, we have to diagnose, okay, what happened in that section? Okay. So then now we have to prescribe a practice strategy. How do you think you're going to get over that? And my older students usually know what they need. Like, oh, I need link and chain practice here. I gotta do backwards practice. Um, You know, so they, we've got lingo uh, vocabulary for practice so that they can pull out those tools and they can help themselves really.
1: Yeah. There are some great uh, videos that I saw on your website of kind of this in action where you show some of your students talking about their practice and rating it from one to five. And it was very thoughtful. I mean, these students really were very perceptive about what they could have done better and what needs improvement. I think it goes back to your point earlier in this interview about keeping everything student-centered.
0: Well, and I have to give credit to that because this effective practice tracker really came from a podcast episode of Tim Topham's where he interviews Anita Collins. And this line just stuck with me. She said, And she was talking to parents, but it's those parents who like, oh, you know, piano's going to hard. They want to quit. And she said that we are breeding resilience out of our children. And it was so powerful. And, you know, we can, we have, we're building resilience in our students. And so we want to help them with that. And I think telling them that like here, we are here to help you. Please let me help you so that you can be the musician that you want to be. And then take ownership of your practice. So that was one of the things that Anita Collins recommended is give them a vocabulary to describe what kind of practice they had. And really, you want to have effective, efficient practice. You know, that's it doesn't it doesn't have to take 20 minutes. It could take five minutes to fix that problem spot. It just depends on how efficient you are. And so I made this little I don't know, I I put it on a little record record because I like to repurpose things, but an old vinyl record, but it's this little dial where students can show me how they thought their practice was. And number five was like, they went above and beyond. Their brain was on fire. And then four was right on target. Three was not bad. And two was they avoided the hard parts, which that happens a lot. You know, if, if we had a rough week, guess what we do first? We avoid those hard parts. And then one was the brain was out for lunch, which here's the deal. Playing and practicing are two different things. And I think piano students have to realize that playing is good. You may play, but make sure you practice too. And if you only play between lessons, you're not going to make effective
1: progress. Yeah. I very much relate to that point about avoiding the hardest spots. I recently (laughs) had Dr. Barbara Fast on this podcast. I don't know her, but she uh, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scholarship on practicing. And she talked about how this idea of like, the best way to practice in some ways is to practice the hardest spots first. And she cited some research about how that's true. Even if you look at like top Olympic athletes and at, across disciplines that some of the people who are most successful practice the hardest spots first. And she also talked about a little bit of what you're describing about letting the students lead the way and build a vocabulary to evaluate their own practice. Um, She didn't mention the effective practice tracker, but she talked about like practice diaries where students would mark what they did. And it's a similar, I think, point about keeping it Mm student-centered.
0: One word that's really popped up a lot that my students have liked, and this was from, inspired by another podcast from the Bulletproof Musician, but the word proficient. Hmm. And they've really taken to it. And so have I as a practicer. And that means, can they play the piece at a metronome marking, air-free? And, you know, I, I shy away from that metronome because I know it drives people nuts, but I only give them that assignment or they assign it themselves when they know they are ready to put themselves up against, and I say against a metronome because it, you know, that's a whole nother skill to be able to play while aligning yourself to an outside beat. Right. But they have really taken to that because they can gauge how well they've done. You know, hey, I made it through the entire piece, zero errors at 95. Right. You know, now that's not very musical, but that's getting them to where they want to be. Right.
1: Okay, uh, before we go, uh, do you have any other suggestions to help teachers work towards a more dynamic studio?
0: You know, I think not always thinking that you have to be Right. And um, listening to the student, what do they want to play? And maybe saying, instead of no, saying not yet. Hmm. And um, one of the things that I've learned about motivation is that you know, we there's a difference between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And so we may use stickers, like, okay, you get this uh this done and I'll give you a sticker. And stickers are fine. Um, but what eventually will happen is okay, get this sticker or get this piece done, so then you can play this piece. Hmm. And then that motivates that intrinsic motivation side. So there's really two tracks to motivation and they're gears that work with each other. That's a great way of framing it. And so if you think, yeah, if you think of it that way, you know, if you want them to do something, okay, give them as many carrots as they need and then, you know, let them dive into whatever they really want to play, like for release or being able to create their own piece, that kind of stuff. And using what the music that the items that you really want for them as a musician, as that carrot, that's going to get them further along as musicians. Yeah. It helps build true a- intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. That's And that's what we want for our students. We want a lifelong love of music. Mm-hmm. And if we have to use some carrots along the way, that's yeah. okay. If we have to use technology along the way, that's
1: okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, before we go, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to now and how everyone listening can learn more about you? Okay, right now
0: uh, I am waist deep, neck deep in our digital course, How to Play Piano in a Band, and so we are working on that. We released the overview, which is packed full of all the stuff that you need to know or that you will want your students to know. That's what's really unique about this is that we're assuming that some piano teachers are going to want to learn this on their own for their own sake to play in a band or worship band or whatever, but they also may want to pass this along to their piano students. So I'm working on adding in lesson plans and different worksheets that they can use with their students. And the, the other unique thing about this is that we are addressing, we, it's divided into three modules, uh, the ears first and then the eyes and then the hands. Mm. And so we really are taking seriously
1: engage, uh, the idea of engaged listening. If I can ask a follow up, when you say, when you say hands in those three modules, Mm. does that mean technique? Yes. That means, you know, what are you going to play?
0: Now, now that you've seen the chord chart, And okay, what do you do with your hands? And you know your chord symbols because there's all different ways to play a chord. You don't have to just play it in one way. And so basically it's a catalog of ideas. Here's a C chord, but look at how many things you can do with a C chord. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's so much fun and we've worked together so well for so long, so it's all fun and we're working on, there's videos and we have discussion, um, and we're taking some major, you know, hip pop songs that are popular right now, even some K-pop, all that kind oh, of stuff okay. so that you can really cross over to whatever genre that your students may be interested in. And then I have a podcast too, which, um seems a little related to yours. Mine is called key ideas and I uh, don't kick them out quite as fast as you. Wow.
1: Well, that, that's that's <laughs> temporary. <laughs> uh,
0: but I, um, yeah, they usually come out weekly. I'm slowing down a little bit and then I think I'll, I'll take a season off and then I'll, uh, jumpstart it again, but it, the, it's been on my bucket list. You know, I've blogged for years and then podcasting seems to be the new blogging. And um, yeah, I've, I've wanted to do it. And I like to talk about topics beyond the piano bench as well, yeah. because
1: we all have lives beyond, uh, you know, our studios. Yeah, that's what I find refreshing about your podcast is there are some episodes that talk really into the minutia of pedagogy, but then mm-hmm. there are some that are very philosophical. Um, uh-huh. too, so you really span a wide range.
0: And that's kind of from my own life experience and some of the things that I've currently gone through. And um, I, I do feel like music is is a healer. It's a restorative art. And um, I want to make sure that I share that side of my own experience as a musician.
1: What a great note to end on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And as you know, I'm a big fan. So really, again, really appreciate it. And thanks again.
0: Thank you, Ben. It's been a
1: pleasure talking with you today. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.